This is Thomas DePoa. Hi, this is William Roy. This is Dole. Hey, this is Melon Bread. This is Kevin Ham. I'm Jake, and this is the Green Box. You're listening to episode 21 of the Green Box. We'll be delving into rules about combat and armor. Afterwards, we'll discuss some alternative rule sets and equipment options for Delta Green, the role-playing game. So, uh, when I run games, I combat is probably my least favorite part of Delta Green, which we all know. And I tend to gloss over a lot of the rules, but I also know that I get some stuff wrong. So I'm very interested in both learning what I might be doing wrong, and also things that I can use to make this more interesting, while not bogging down the whole system. I'm going to say that as a player, learning the combat rules is important because um, this game is a violent game. It is a game where your character can die. It is a game where your character can die because the GM doesn't necessarily remember all the rules. And to that I say, uh, like our man Hunk from Resident Evil, this is war. Survival is your responsibility. It's good. There's a lot of shit in Delta Green that'll kill you. So it might be useful to remember uh, some of the smaller, uh, less easy to remember rules, like the fact that if you're behind cover, it cancels out lethality rating attacks. So you're saying it cancels out the the radius of lethality radius weapons, but not... No, no. Well, it's le- lethality is the, the the chance that something will just outright kill you if you're hit by an attack with it. And it's not just uh, explosives and uh, like radius attacks from like firearms. Like there's a lot of monsters that also have lethality rating attacks. But if you're behind like a brick wall or something, then all of a sudden the dimensional shambler can't kill you. Well, outright. I mean, mechanically, does it still do the damage to you, but just doesn't it doesn't get the roll on the lethality percentile to, to potentially kill you? Or right, it okay. just it the the lethality attack fails, so instead it just does two d ten damage minus the armor that you're behind or sure, the cover that you're behind. Probably shockingly survivable once. Yeah, once, and then you know, once that thing blows that wall out, and you're standing out there all naked in the open. Dimensional shamblers can also teleport through walls. I'm pretty sure. Uh, see what I'm saying? There's just. <laughs> and if they smoke the magic tobacco, then they can go through walls too. Well, there's no wall for him to teleport through if you just knock it down. That's true. So that's a perfect example of a rule that I'm sure I read at some point, but uh, I would probably not remember in the heat of a combat where i'm trying to keep track of a bunch of things and i would be grateful if a player was like uh actually uh the lethality rate uh, doesn't go through walls and i would say oh crap thanks i think that there is an example you have kevin where you had a character die because you didn't remember a rule it involves it was, a helicopter uh well that was just not adding my uh, helmet armor onto my character yes sheet. the effect the fact that a Kevlar helmet adds plus one to your armor rating and you had a character that might have survived that crash or whatever it was. Because uh, I guess maybe we should just talk about armor and cover while we're here on this section. Uh, everybody knows that armor reduces the HP damage, but some people, like I said, they don't realize that uh, when armor stacks from all sources... So if you're behind a reinforced wall and you're wearing body armor and you have a helmet on, you have like, what is that, 20, 21 uh, cover points. So I guess that's the idea. Like 
when you're behind enough pieces of cover. That's why it causes uh, lethality attacks to fail because 21 is going to beat like the highest of a failed uh, lethality roll. And that wasn't clear to me the first time I read them. I think based on the table they have, uh, it reads a little bit like your cover supersedes your armor. So you would just use that. But in the gameplay example, it does show them stacking. Like stacking makes sense in reality. If your bullet is going to penetrate a brick wall and then a Kevlar vest, it's going to lose a ton of momentum as it goes through the brick wall and not do as much damage to the vest. There's a scene in Predator 2 where Danny Glover puts a Kevlar vest like over a door frame. And then he like really stupidly like hangs out the side of the car while the car is moving. And he goes towards, I think it was like a bunch of gangsters or something. And they're shooting like the side of the door. And I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, he just doubled his armor rating by having the bullets have to go through the Kevlar vest twice. The way that you deal with that as a player is you, or as a GM, if you've um, got characters who are smart and have a good chance to hit, is that you spend some of your bonuses that you've probably stacked up, if you're a smart player, um, on a called shot to ignore cover, which is either a neg 20 or a neg 40, depending on how the GM's feeling that day, but can actually get you a chance to hit your target without going through all that armor. Right, you find the soft, squishy part of the the person. Well, because if someone if someone's behind a reinforced wall wearing you know body armor, etc., you're not trying to shoot through the wall, through the plate carrier, through the ceramic plate, through the Kevlar to their torso. You're shooting the one part of them that's exposed, which is probably about an inch or two in their face if they're doing their job properly. Uh, well, while you're there, we could talk a little bit about called shots. Okay, so I think one of the things that we were talking about in the Night of the Opera Discord is that a lot of the called shot rules are kind of senseless, like making a called shot to stun someone. Like if I shoot this man in the exact right place with my 45 ACP, he won't be injured, he'll just be stunned. That's true, you shoot like an inch to the right of their temple, uh, next to their ear, and then it blows the eardrum out, and then they're stunned. (laughs) That actually feels all right to me, because I was watching a video of... um, I think it was British muzzleloaders did a video about shooting a Lee Enfield as a in like in close quarters battle, and one of the things that they taught the soldiers is that it's better to miss by hitting the ground right in front of a prone man than by hitting the air over him, because if you hit the ground in front of him, you suppress him, and you might even uh, get ricochets or just fragments of garbage in his face, and that can be as disabling as a actual hit with the round. Well, no, the obvious thing to do is use your Hamato vision goggles to miss the guy's femoral artery when you shoot him in the leg. But that doesn't work through walls. No, plus plus, then he, he his vision isn't obscured, your vision is obscured because you're the one wearing the goggles. So a uh, question about call shots and cover, right? Uh, is it, like, let's say my, my, let's say my character says, I'm, this is a dimensional shambler, I don't want to deal with this nonsense, I'm going to jump behind this wall and just put my head down. Does, like, narratively, if I decide that I'm not sticking any part of my body out, because, like, say, I'm not shooting back, does a call shot override that? Or do you have to have a, like, do you have to have a narrative excuse, like, oh, the guy's shooting back at me, so I can see his exposed bits? Or can you always call shot around cover, even if the person's like, no, I'm fully in cover? I, if I was, there's no, there's no rules as written for it. If I was running the game, I would say that you had have to, if the only way to get around cover, if the person was not exposed at all, would be with a weapon that could either, um, was either, had either had some armor, kind of guidance. Armor penetrating. No, no, no. I was going to go the other direction and say, like, um, if you had one of those grenade launchers that air bursts, or if you just threw something over the wall. Or I guess if you move. 
one of the things about explosive weapons is that they're almost designed to be used in called shots that way, like tossed over walls, because they give you a bonus automatically. And so if, you're, if your athletics is already pretty good, you can just spend that bonus on... You know, I want to throw the grenade on the other side of the wall so that it actually injures him. Yeah, that's another uh, another not so uh, obvious rule because it's only like a one one line in the book. If you throw an explosive, it adds plus twenty percent. Any, to any explosive rolls. adds. Any, it can be thrown. It can be launched from a heavy weapon. But yeah, definitely remember that because that that will save your life. So here's something that I feel like makes no sense, right? Uh, picture this: I'm I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm in cover. I have my grenade. Uh, Jake is over there. He's in cover, and I want to kill him. Like, no matter where I throw the grenade, I'm I'm trying to hit something. Like, it seems silly that if, if I'm throwing it at Jake, it's at an armor penalty, or he gets an armor bonus. But I throw it past Jake, then I, it's a called shot that's harder to hit. But like, I'm still just throwing the grenade. Why is why is my point of aim dictated rand- a random negative bonus? <laughs> because. The game has rules for cover, and the developers didn't want to write a table of special exceptions for airburst weapons, uh, top attack weapons, guided weapons, thrown weapons. They wanted the cover rules to be consistent across the rule set. So they're saying this co- the cover protects you from attacks unless you make a called shot to ignore it. That's, and they gave you a special they gave you a special bonus that means that your chance to hit Jake behind cover is the same with the grenade because the, the plus 20 and the night 20 cancel each other out. So your chance to hit him with that is better than it would be if you're shooting him with a firearm, with a comparable skill rating. That's perfectly valid. I can't argue with that. So you're right. It is it is silly from a perspective of... Because, because this, is, this is something that I remember from the video about McNamara's Folly, that they tried to... to to, when they teach grenade throwing, they teach you to throw it in a high arc so that it actually lands on top of the target instead of throwing it straight at it where it just will bounce and land somewhere else. Yeah, don't play it like it's baseball. Although one of my favorite uh, stories is in uh, the Band of Brothers book where the, one of the guys like zings a, a fastball right at a crowd and hits him with the grenade. Well, I guess if you're throwing it through a window or whatever. Well, that's the other thing is that um, one of the examples the book gives is... In the agent's handbook, throwing a, a throwing an object into a room full of people who haven't noticed you is given as something that doesn't require a roll at all. Right. Uh, I think I don't remember whether it might have been in like an earlier draft of the book. I'm not sure if it appears in this one, but it says the G or the handler decides when a, a, a roll isn't called for and when it's just murder. Yeah, that's. Um, I don't know if that's given explicitly, but that's definitely expressed in the. Uh, section on when you actually have to roll the dice. So if you're trying to get if you're trying to get someone in cover, um, call shot is a good way to get to get around that. What are some other ways to get around cover? Well, like you said already, explosives is another good one. Uh, but yet another quality some weapons have is armor piercing. And if you look at like the weapons table, some of the uh. Some of the weapons do have armor-piercing ratings, like the light carbines have uh, three armor-piercing. Uh, some of the heavier weapons have five. Which makes them good against body armor, but not so much against cover. And, you know, you, you get even more dangerous when you put uh, Teflon-coated cop-killer bullets in your gun, right? There are a couple of... Uh, there's a couple of different weapon or ammunition types listed in the book but let's save those and also you know what kind of what what kind of ammo goes on sniper rifles and also why aren't there sniper rifles in the book but uh there uh, well let's not get that let's not go there <laughs> no we should not die, go into that diatribe. trap
one of the easiest ways to deal with someone in cover is very simply, if one person keeps them in cover via suppression, another member of your team can flank, and then, then they're not in cover anymore, and then you just kill them. I didn't remember this rule until I started looking up you know, notes for this discussion. Being attacked by a weapon with a kill radius triggers suppression even if the attack misses. Of course, I mean, it makes sense. Somebody's shooting at you with an automatic weapon or, uh, you know, a grenade goes off right next to you. It's it's going to make you want to get your head down. Yeah, but there's actually no rules about it for NPCs other than just assume that they're suppressed. But there's no description of what that means because in humans, there's a con in, in human players, it says here that you can't, you must either find cover or go prone or suffer one sand. There's no mechanic given for what an NPC does. It just says assume they're suppressed. I think that makes sense, unless you're... It, it makes sense, but what does it mean? Well, unless you've got someone who's willing to fight to the death, presumably, or you've got a super hardcore special operator who doesn't really... who has been in that situation before and has come out of it and is kind of inured to it. No, no, no I'm not. I'm not suggesting that then there's some NPCs who wouldn't be suppressed. I'm asking, what does it mean when an NPC is suppressed? How does their behavior change? What is the mechanic? Well, maybe they need to use their cover to go, or maybe they need to use their action to go into cover or uh, go prone, just like a human would. Uh, it says in the uh, book, I think, only insane, hardened, or fanatical enemies stand up in the face of fire. So if you have, like, a, a mad cultist of, of what the fuck ever... Uh, they might not be uh, prone to go down because their focus is uh, taking you out because you're getting in the way of their worship. I think also that the problem with, you know, find, fix, flank, finish is that the game's movement and action economy really punishes doing anything but just scooting around slowly while firing. I like that you chose finish as the final F. It's not what I would have gone with, but I like that you did. If you're adapted to violence, it uh, doesn't matter uh, about losing sand or not. So again, if you have like a, a hardcore uh, badass terrorist operator or whatever, they're not going to go to ground whenever uh, they take kill radius uh, attack. Is, is a badass terrorist operator like one of those guys who's jumped through all those rings of fire in those sick ISIS training videos? That really hardens you against combat. They, they, sh they shoot the balloons uh, <laughs> while they're standing back to back with their guns up like uh, Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Yes, exactly. If you've, if you've done that, you cannot be suppressed. So uh, to, to get back to Melon's question about what does an NPC do, I would probably just take away the or. I would say that they must find cover or go prone as a next action. I would not cause, because they can't t suffer sand loss that normally. I wouldn't give them that option if you suppress an NPC and they're not immune their action is to get into cover, period. That would make it pretty easy, I think. Well, I mean, if it's like a mook or whatever, somebody you don't really care about, you know, do whatever. But if it's like a named NPC, it's not that hard just to roll an extra sand roll and have them react appropriately. Yeah, I'm not going to start tracking the sanity of my of my NPCs. Well, if it's like a named important NPC or something, you know, someone like, uh, for example, the deputy in Lover in the Ice, if there's a chance that a player might end up like taking that character or whatever. Okay, but why would I want, why would I want to tell my player, hey, guess what? Not only did you get killed by this bullshit puzzle box, but now your new character has a disorder and is completely unplayable because I rolled all these sand tests from in the background. 
He's not completely unplayable <laughs> if he takes a couple of shots or attacks from the Amante. I, I think it's much easier just to just to take away the ore. Using suppression with a non... I mean, first of all, suppression is mostly a forgotten about mechanic anyways, and it's not that useful because, okay, you force the NPC to seek cover. Well, what if they're already behind cover? Okay, useless. Uh, but then also, there's a rule for using a weapon, using a non-kill radius weapon to suppress, and it says... Um, <clears throat> you shoot with uh, you sh- you make an attack roll with your normal firearm, and if you hit, if you make a hit, then the enemy is suppressed. And if you're suppressing someone, you know, because there's no there's no consequences to suppressing someone who's not in who's in cover already. So the only time you need to suppress someone is if they're in the open. And if you're firing a weapon at someone in the open and you're making an attack roll, make the attack roll to hit them with the weapon. Don't make the attack roll to suppress them. Well, here's kind of a semantics question. So, if you sh- if someone's in cover already and you suppress them, um, wouldn't they have to? Wouldn't they be forced to go prone, which would use up their action, so they can't shoot at you? Uh, does going prone use up your action? I thought it was when you th- with because you get three meters of movement, right? What if one of those meters is straight down? Yeah, I guess that's true. So, I mean, to me, it seems like if you suppress someone in cover, you you basically just use you're basically just both of you are foregoing your turns. You're you're. You're shooting at them; they're stuck in cover and they can't react. Well, to you. it says it says that they have to seek cover if they're in the open. But if they're already in cover, does it use their action to be suppressed? The game doesn't tell us. I would say yes. I would say that's just a fear response. They like duck down harder into the cover. That's or their at least action. they can't like shoot back at you. Which in which case you have reason to keep shooting at them. It would be to keep their head down while your your partner goes to fuck them. Sorry, goes to finish them. Because I, I, I think. Uh, if I was getting shot at, I'm not going to be like, hmm, sounds like a bolt action. I think I'm fine here. Or sounds sounds like a semi-auto. I think I'll just no, stand here. Um, there's a scene in one of the first episodes of Longmire where the bad guy is using like a... It's like a breech, uh, breech open long sharps rifle or something like that. And, and Walt is like counting to five as he runs to like different pieces of cover because he knows that's the fastest that weapon can be <laughs> fired. Well, and also it, uh, uh, it, it, not to dwell on a crisis, but the Las Vegas shooting, a lot of the original uh, original responses were that it was a full, fully automatic weapons fire, but it was just bump stocks. You can fire a semi-auto gun if you're just trying to suppress or like area, area fire it. You can fire it nearly as fast as an automatic, so there really shouldn't be much of a distinction there. Yeah, but I'm saying that the, and I'm not questioning whether it's possible to do suppression with a weapon of that type. I'm saying that the mechanics in the game for it are useless because you make an attack roll, but instead of doing damage, you force someone to drop prone. I can force someone to drop prone by discharging my weapon and hitting them with it, and then they'll be prone for a different reason. Prone for the rest of their life. <laughs> Just to try to take this to another conclusion, if somebody's in cover and you, you and your gun doesn't have enough da- or you don't think it has enough damage to actually damage them in the cover, uh, then Keeping them suppressed might be a valid thing rather than just shooting at shooting them in the face. Um, but only if the GM shares the interpretation that suppressing someone takes away their action even if they're already behind cover. I mean, if a player deliberately tells me that's what they, they want to accomplish and that I say that's what happens, then that's what happens. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to lose my character over that distinction. You, you, that could definitely be more clear. It's a case where um, everyone wants to do this thing called... Uh, with these rules, I see this attitude. Everyone wants to do this thing called rulings, not rules, which is where you instead of instead of making a 
like a rule for everything. You make rules for some things, and then in those specific when you get in this specific situation, the GM tells you how things are going to be, and the that's good because it means that you can get a game like Delta Green that's that's lots of fun and that has not that many rules and is is very streamlined compared to something like Call of Cthulhu. The problem comes in when you're in a situation like this where it requires a ruling rather than because there's no specific rule for it, and then you start to wonder, this is not, you know, this is a game, right? But at the same time, like, this is life and death for my for my character. I would like to know how my actions will affect the game world, and I don't know, and I have to count on someone making a ruling. And then the second problem with the ruling is that once you make a ruling about something, either you have to record it and it becomes a rule, because otherwise it's inconsistent, Oh, and that just me that just means that there's an ever expanding body of jurisprudence that the players have to remember and that you have to remember. Or if the rulings aren't consistent, then just random. Like why is it that I could suppress that one guy in this session but not in the next session? And the players have no idea how the game world works. Yeah, you almost need like a, a list of questions and you sit down at the table. Hey, before we start, uh, how do you do this? How do you run with this? Can I do that? You know what I mean? Which is like insane. Um, and let's be clear, I, I 100% prefer Delta Green's philosophy to Call of Cthulhu's because um, Jake told me today that the chase rules in that game are 22 pages long, and I said, no, I'm not reading that. And so that is clearly an example of why I like Delta Green better, but there are costs to making the game fast and simple. Well, I mean, we've so we've come up with a couple of things that need to be ru- ruled on, essentially, from like higher from ASL and eventually this is still a pretty new game you know it's only been out a couple of years this version of it uh and the handler's guide only came out like months ago so at some point i will assume that they would release some sort of errata once there's enough of these questions that have kind of percolated through and that's where hopefully they would run through some of these what is distinctions this, pathfinder i mean when i looked at the list of special damage distance types i was pretty sure i was looking at pathfinder Let's see. So in this game, uh, firearm attacks usually tend to be king, but there's a pretty good argument to be made about uh, melee-driven characters. Not that it should be like something that your your guy primarily does, is unless you're Erebus the firefighter. But there's uh, there's a couple of compelling reasons to play uh, melee type characters, right? Yeah. So the main the main reason why hand to hand combat in Delta Green is good is because of a, a rule that says fighting back is possible with melee or unarmed attacks where you can defend yourself against assailants who try to slap you. But there's also a rule in there that says you can fight back against ranged attacks if you're close enough to hit the person or their weapon. And that's that's crucial because that means if someone is at point blank range and tries to shoot you with a gun, you can take it away from them. Now, I've got the machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. And very good. But also the thing to remember is that I that I like about the design of this game is that everyone gets the three meters of movement, right? Like I keep talking about that, about how that's in the action economy. The rule for what counts as point blank range in Delta Green is also three meters. So if you're close enough to get a bonus to shoot someone, they're close enough to take the gun away from you. Can you use your free movement to go straight up? Yeah, you uh, wall glitch right <laughs> through the floor. Just turn on no, yes. no clip and go to the next floor. We're doing a Delta Green speed run. Three meters of movement is a lot. If I was, if I would like jump straight up and then climb, then yeah, three meters is like what, two stories almost. Mm, ten, three meters is ten feet, so it's not two stories. But yeah, it's a full story it's a, for sure. It's probably about one point five stories. Why are there one point five of them anyway? 
so like just imagine that like you're in the middle of a, a ruckus uh let's just say it's Erebus the firefighter uh pre uh bullshit magical axe uh versus a couple of cultists with knives so uh you only have to make one attack roll and you remember that result because when you're in the middle of a ruckus like that that uh result is used against multiple other uh as an opposed and not only not only the other attacks. defend it can also attack them back so i could right. so theoretically you could make like two attacks in a round with a melee weapon right yeah against two different people who are assaulting you or hey even if even if, if we were like in an elevator and they had guns then that's close enough it's like uh there's that scene in um the original dawn of the dead where i went back so i went back and watched that because um i remember that scene and I remember there was a lot of good scenes in that movie and that's a movie where a lot of the acting and cinematography and design and stuff is kind of bad like I isn't not bad but um, everyone kept telling me oh I like this you know I like the 2000s version better and I was like you know that's that's heresy the 2000s version is probably better shot and better acted but there's all kinds of cool scenes in the original and cool set pieces and one of them is that there's like a, a SWAT group that's going through basically a housing project that's been taken over by some, you know, gangsters or whatever. And they're going through the house. And so there, there's like this, this wall that's boarded up and the police probably think there's drugs behind it or whatever. And so they're like, come on, man, break it open. And so the guy smashes the, the, the boards with the butt of his uh, scatter gun. And then a horde of zombies comes out because that's where the, the people in the housing project were keeping all the zombies after the, their friends died. And so then the police are in this this crowded stairwell, and they can't use their long arms. They can't use the their rifles and shotguns because the zombies are too close. That's a a really good point. And uh, when I was in the Coast Guard, we had really short uh, rifles and really short shotguns, specifically because on a boat in a boarding situation, you can't maneuver a full size M sixteen around or a long shotgun. Um, and people think that might be silly, but like, go try it. It's really hard. <laughs> but there's a reason why uh, vehicle, like mechan- most mechanized infantry, now basically I think all infantry are mechanized at some level, to some degree. That's why the the meta now is all about you know collapsing stocks, short barrels. Something else to remember about melee combat is that it can contribute a lot more meaningfully to stealth. I disagree because I think that um, that is a rolling to failure situation. If I have to not only beat my stealth, but beat the other guy's alertness, and then go up to him, roll a successful attack roll, and kill him. That is a situation where, and I and I understand there's stuff there's stuff in Delta Green that gives you bonuses to that, like you get you get a plus twenty to melee an unwary guy, and it's an automatic crit. But I still think that's a rolling to failure situation where the more rolls I have to make in order to succeed at the task, the higher my chance of failure gets. Do you necessarily need to make? both rolls I mean, if, or if someone is totally unaware couldn't that just be murder it's just like throwing a grenade well, yeah throwing a grenade into a room no one knows you're throwing the grenade let's, into let's find the the specific reference <clears throat> to this yeah if it takes two rolls then i think There's, my point is bad or it falls flat well, but if it's just one it roll, might not because because what well, the rule i believe is that you get a plus 20 to your chance to hit and it's an automatic critical which gives you a pretty good chance of immediately just hitting someone and killing them the original point I was kind of trying to make is that even silencers are somewhat noisy, and someone in like a next door room might hear one. But if you can get somebody good with a melee weapon, 
like go for a choke or whatever. It's a lot more quiet. Yeah, if I, rec- if I recall correctly, silencers, all they do is uh, take or put a penalty on an alertness tech to notice them. Yeah, so here, here's the rules for, for stealth killing. Make an attack at plus 20. Any success is a critical hit. So very, very good, but not a guarantee. So I guess I guess we're back to rulings and not rules. I feel like I feel like if my characters, I feel like I would call for a single stealth roll to like infiltrate the building, but I probably wouldn't call for a stealth roll for ev- before every attack unless there was a noise made or something. Yeah, that's fair. But it's someone else might someone else might not do that. So again, we're kind of back to the to the crux of where we're coming coming to this discussion from. Roll into failure is what the idea that the more you roll the dice, the more likely a failure is going to come up. Yeah, if a single task takes a certain number of tests of die rolls or skill checks to resolve then the number of usually the chance of failure is determined by the number of checks you have to make because eventually you're going to you're going to miss one i had a pretty regular gm uh, for a dnd game who was a big fan I, I think he just thought it was a cool idea but i'm not sure anyone ever explained the math to him and if he's listening maybe i should have explained the math to you but uh a lot of times someone would want to do something he'd be like all right give me three three of these checks and we'll kind of just average them together and i was always like that seems like a great way to make my role worse well, the average—if it's the average of them—then it's not that bad. Well, it because it the average of them should—the <coughs> average of them should be the same as whatever your chance of success was. Although you would probably need more than three die rolls to get a proper average, you probably need more than like three hundred. Yeah. Or like, you know, give me four rolls and succeed on three of them. Like, well, can I just roll? Yeah, once? That, that's that's less helpful. Um, it's it's fine if you have a more interesting consequence for failure than just. Um, a thing doesn't happen. You know, you you fucked up. Yeah, like if 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 you you know, it's like okay, make three stealth rolls, but instead of each stealth roll, um, you know, if instead of a single failed roll meaning detection, it like advances the danger clock or whatever for the oh, guards. Th- yeah, that's true. If you had some sort of graduated uh, system, that would work out really well. And uh, I think that's a discussion for a future topic. But uh, what? Uh, so we talked a little bit about. Well, here's an, another reason for uh, melee weapons to be used more often most melee weapons have uh armor piercing three which is enough to go through a uh non-reinforced vest in this game like like by default i i wouldn't say narratively so much it's going through it it's just finding a piece of the body that's not protected by it or even like if it's tactical body armor like the level five or the five uh eight armor points uh you know, you you might bounce off the steel plate, but then you you find purchase in the arm or something. Um, we didn't really talk about it. We talked about cover, but maybe I want to quickly touch on it. Um, so there's there's cover and there's concealment. One of which, the both of which make you hard to see. Only one of which stops bullets. Essentially, um, is there? Do you guys know or recall? If there's any specific mechanics for that, or specifically like knowing what what is what? Or yes, there is. There's a uh... Um, unusual target concealment or visibility. Bad visibility can inflict anything from a neg twenty to a neg forty percent penalty. Yeah, that seems like a pretty pretty good thing. And I guess if the player doesn't know what is which is which, then they'll find out when the rolls happen. So you may not know if that desk is you know made out of shitty IKEA plywood or solid oak. But you don't know where that agent is that's uh, carrying behind it for, with their life. True. Yeah.
Okay, so there's another uh, thing I could bring up here about cover. That is that in the uh, special operators gear section, there is a ballistic shield. So you can be like uh, Monty or Blitz from uh, Rainbow Six and feel really awesome and badass, right? Or be like the, the, the angry Chav from Scotland Yard. Oh, uh, oh, gosh, Clash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, there aren't any stats for a ballistic shield in the book, to the best of my knowledge. When I was at Gen Con, somebody used a ballistic shield. They gave it to the anthropologist character, uh, one of one of Heron's uh, agent Agent Mosin, which is a great use for a guy who can't shoot. Here, hold the shield. I just gave it like five points of armor, and it takes both hands for somebody who's not trained in it. That's probably probably pretty fair. I don't think you need you should need special training to hold a shield. I think it should be based on the on the, the strength of the wielder. Right, yeah, that's good too. But I was saying, if you want to use it offensively, you'd have to have some sort of special training. Yeah, if you want to shoot your gun and use a shield, that you would require, you would have to practice that. If you just want to hold a shield, anybody can do it. I, I think I told the story to Heron, and you had an idea about uh, how ballistic shields might work too, Heron. Oh, okay. Yeah, it probably works as full cover then, uh, where it takes the minus forty called shot to get around the shield and hit somebody. It was just so bizarre to me picturing like. Uh, because the model you had for that anthropologist was Aziz Ansari. <laughs> so, so seeing like Aziz Ansari standing behind a full length like ballistic shield or whatever. I mean, I didn't do that. Other people did that with the pre-gen version of him. Hey man, he lived lots and lots of lives. I mean, he, he died fucking a lot in my games. He was a, he was the first guy who got machine gunned down at the uh, drug cult raid. So ballistic shields are good. Um... Another piece of kind of improvised or, I guess, uh, handler-created armor was uh, in my set-piece entry for the fire department. I uh, wanted to give some sort of statistics to firefighter turnout gear because it doesn't really stop. It's not going to stop a bullet, but what I what I called what I called for was that it. Uh, so I, I gave it two armor, and then I said it reduces fire intensity to moderate. Hopefully, meaning if you know it would give a player a chance to actually use it in a fire and make it more survivable. I mean, the, the rules have a whole bunch of rules on what fire intensity does, so yeah. Uh, when I wrote a scenario that took place primarily around water, I referenced the old uh, targets of opportunity because there was a rule in there about water armor, and I tried to update it uh, for new DG. Uh, I said two feet of water can create five points of armor versus firearms. Uh, I didn't really bother figuring out how it might work for explosives or melee weapons or anything, but I mean, if you're if you're in the water, explosives are going to be worse for you. But if the water is like somehow, like if you're standing on the other side of an aquarium from someone, then the water would be the explosives would be would be better better for you. But that's a really contrived scenario. Yes, but why is the explosive source? Is it like a shockwave thing? Or? Yeah, it compresses yeah. the the water. Ah. It's the same principle that a death charge operates on. Yeah, so explosives can't compress water, so they they have like their force carries much further uh, through the water. Whereas in air, they can't compress the air, so they lose their force a lot quicker. On well, today, I learned there's a pretty good myth mythbusters mythbusters segment on it. There's also a really good if you ever look at how the World War II dam busting raids worked, they were able to use a, a pretty small bomb because they knew they could get it right at the base of the dam, and the water would do most of the work. And that's also a pretty cool part of World War II. Check it out. One thing that, because I know that I I decry people adding complexity, and because I was thinking about what these water mechanics, because Jake, you, I think I was the one you talked to about that, because you had, you wanted to, to to write that, and I was thinking in my head like technically, you know, the faster a bullet goes, the worse it performs, the worse it performs in water. So 
you know, we could develop some kind of like, oh, a subsonic round does, you know, loses less of its power. And then I was thinking, wait, this is stupid. No, we're not going to do this. Yeah, I would would keep it pretty simple. And I think just a straight feet, X feet equals Y uh, armor value is perfect. Because if you'll recall, the the numbers in the, um, the the penalties in the, uh, the original book were way, way, way more severe. Not only yeah. did you um, did you like lose uh, power over distance. Every time you shot the gun, it also did damage to you for some reason. And <laughs> Wait, I was... even if you're not in the water, unless it's because they wanted you to use the harp. So there is a couple more things before we get into the weeds on ammunition. Uh, there was. Something Heron brought to my attention that I didn't even know existed because Heron frequents Delta Green's website. Yeah, Shane Ivey wrote a quick he wrote a quick page for the Delta Green website with things like uh, beanbag rounds, uh, rubber bullets, special a special training I think for using a baton. Yeah, the special training was neat because it allows people with that uh that training to use uh unarmed instead of melee weapons for a baton and you can like stun people more easily with your baton which is nice you just like beat the shit out of somebody and they're stunned now as long as you yell stop resisting while you do it it's consequence free yeah yeah that actually doubles the uh the bonus uh to well, stun it, them it actually gives you a plus 20 on your roll later to uh get in trouble with your boss well, I know I was beating up this man while I was on vacation, but he was resisting. Oh, uh, Agent, you're, it's, it's fine. Never mind. So there's a ton of different special ammo out there. Um, and that's not even getting into like the ridiculous rounds people can make in, in their basement. Do we want to maybe just touch on a couple of these? I have a couple favorites. But I think the first thing to talk about is like what's actually published. There's like an optional rule set for uh, ammunition in the Agent's Handbook. There's armor-piercing rounds. There are hollow point rounds. Talking about in the agent's handbook, there's like a box that tells you what hollow points do and what armor piercing does. Basically, a hollow point does plus one damage, but armor is twice as effective against it. And I think, Melon, you've memed about this often, about what the default should be for federal agents. No, I think I think that there shouldn't be extra rules for hollow points. I think the assumption should be that the regular damage values are for hollow points. Because that's what people are going to use if they're law enforcement or if they're just shooting defensively, and that, that, that's my understanding, anyways. I couldn't. I tried. I tried my best to find because I, I find a lot of people saying it when I look it up, but I couldn't find an actual like. And if anyone did a survey of police departments or of of um, people who purchased firearms for home defense, what cartridges they were using, but everyone I've spoken to at least has has been pretty adamant that that the expanding bullets are the way to go if you're trying to to shoot defensively well what about like say your players go and they go to a the gun store or gun show and they do like gun show loophole or they buy from like a back alley dealer or something like that and they have like a weird cartridge type and they don't have uh the right bullets for it or something what what do you do then i would not be in that situation in the first place because i don't feel like making the players agonize over cartridge selection is fun or interesting in fact, I probably wouldn't do the gun show scene at all because I want to sideline the shopping trip and get back to the things that I actually find interesting. You know, hollow points may be pretty standard for police departments, but there's a lot of uh, military and other organizations that uh, either are banned from using them or don't use them as a matter of policy. Um, I think I'd rather just have basically uh, basically a pretty binary option. You can either shoot hollow points, which gives you like extra damage but less against armor, or you shoot uh, you know, full metal jacket, which is the exact opposite. And like when you're shooting, just tell me what you're using. 
you don't sw- you can't obviously shoot every five seconds, but give the characters a choice. Every gun can either do you know plus one, minus one, or minus one, plus one. End of story. What are you shooting now? That would be an easy way to handle it. We did come up with a couple of like fun custom creations, and this is going to get kind of gun fondly here. But I think it's fun, and if a player wants a character that has like craft ammunition as a skill and they put points into it, I would absolutely let them do this, uh, you know, as long as I could like screen their entries or whatever. Because there's a lot of really interesting uh, cartridge types that exist in the real world. Okay, uh, I like Dragon's Breath rounds. Those are like primarily shotgun rounds, but I think you might be able to get them in other ammunition types. So basically a dragon's breath is, like it sounds, is just like fire bullets. And I've shot some of these in real life and it is, uh, I almost burned the pasture down. My dad got really mad. But uh, as far as like the ruling in it, I'd probably add like moderate intensity fire damage to the bullet. If the target doesn't use their next action to like stop, drop, and roll, the damage gets uh, even higher. Well, so the important thing I think with Dragon's Breath is that my my principle for making custom ammo types is that they should be allowed to do fun stuff, but they should never do just straight up. They should never just be straight up better than just regular bullets because pretty obviously if they actually were better, then everyone would be using them instead of normal bullets. So with Dragon's Breath, I think the important thing is that the fire effect is severe, but the actual wounding effect of the projectile is not so much because it's... I think it's basically just a handful of magnesium. Isn't yeah, it's it? just like straight magnesium. I don't think there's even that much shot in it. So it wouldn't it wouldn't do that much damage, damage, but it'd set your ass on fire. And that would restrict the range on it pretty heavily. Yeah, if you want to set a building on fire very quickly, Dragon's Breath might be the way to go about it. Uh, until you get both the police and the fire department uh, coming your way. I am the police and the fire department, though. Uh, I like um, uh, the uh, breaching rounds or hatton rounds for a shotgun. Um, I don't know that there's, I mean, I've never had a, I've never had to make a character roll to breach a door. If they were going to breach a door, I always just had it happen pretty narratively. But, uh, with a breacher round, you can very quickly take a door down, even if it's pretty secure behind it. And I like that idea. And I like that role. So this is another case where this is a role that could be assigned to like your anthropologist because they basically shoot the hinges off and they back up against the, out of the way and the breaching team goes in or the, you know, the assaulting team goes in. So we give them something cool to do be part of the action, but not require them to roll high firearms and then get shot at. Another kind of metagamey idea is like Elder Sign engraved bullets. So um, I've heard this uh, given in in a couple of different sources. One, I'm pretty sure there's some stuff in the green box generator about it, but there was also someone talking about um, like a pulp. It wasn't even a Pulp Cthulhu, it was just regular Cthulhu, and it was an example of how regular Cthulhu can be pulpy if you play it right, about how once the players get to a certain level of competence, they're making Elder Sign slugs for all their shotguns. Right, but in uh, Delta Green's version of the Elder Sign, it costs like a point of permanent POW to make like a permanent Elder Sign or something like that, so like each bullet is pretty costly. Yeah, well, um, you can spend it from sacrifices instead of yourself. Yeah, so, that, so what you do is you hire a sweatshop full of Chinese kids and you force them to make Elder Sign bullets till they're dead. And you become a super dark chapter in Delta Green's history. That's when you become the mission. <laughs> what you can do is uh, you keep what you kill. So everything that you kill with the Elder Sign bullets, you take the power from it and you use to make more. Oh, I love it. And you get sand back for killing the monsters. So you've created a self-sustaining loop. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing could go wrong with this. And this is how you run a burglar monks campaign. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's uh the um 
Because so I think that I think that for flavor reasons, the best projectile to engrave it on, and this might be in the green box generator, is a, a ceramic slug. Cause I think that's cool. Oh, because it's I'm, not permanent, or um, no, just because I think that that's the most um, aesthetic surface to inscribe the elder sign on. Although, yeah, if you uh, real real talk, what if you made a reusable one? What if you made one out of like boron carbide titanium bullshit that a slug that just never broke? And you put the other sign on that, and then you could you could shoot it, and it would come out of the the sabo. And then when you killed something with it, or when you you know missed, you would walk over and you'd pick it up and you'd stuff it in your pocket and you'd take it back and you'd hand load it again. I mean, I think real talk. I think these are really a neat idea, and they're a great way to kill a monster that is normally hard to kill. If, if I was going to put them in a game, the players would somehow acquire a bunch of these that were already made. I wouldn't get into the minutia of having them make their own because you get into all these all these odd like like logic traps. No, because if because if my- now, if my player has craft metallurgy or whatever, or craft, um, you know, craft gunsmith, and knows the spell, I will one hundred percent let the player make them themselves. Yeah, absolutely. If they put points into it, then like just give it to them. I mean, there's because yeah, there's there's consequences. Not only the power, but also um, I don't remember if it's if it's Delta Green where they say that the Elder Sign has other consequences, where um, it's basically like like flashing a badge to the aliens. And eventually, someone's going to show up and ask you what, the, where you got it, and what, why you think you have that authority. Yeah, who, who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you work for? Where'd, where'd you get this? If you do it your method, Kevin, where players find like a box full of them, a then they'll have to conform to like whatever ammo type that is, and b then they have to account for bullets, which can, honestly, I'd probably like make a roll for helplessness like if they have to do like a burst fire from their elder sign and grave bullet pile or something like that <laughs> yeah, that's fair. because like they see like their their supply is dwindling and they don't know how to make more because like they're like oh you know i, I tried to copy the symbol exactly onto this thing but like nothing happens so so if if the elder sign can be put onto bullets right <clears throat> can other happy geometric spells like could you put a withering bullet Urgable. That's uh, I forget the I forget the ritual, but like it like closes the it closes like gates or whatever, and like shoot one into a monster and absol- just banish it. I would absolutely let someone put like a, a like a um a grenade round full of like the powder of Benghazi or whatever. Yeah, if someone wants to bless their uh, not a sniper rifle scope with the Vorish sign, that way they can you oh, know that'd be that'd be pretty sick. And then and. And then it obviously has the consequences that we talked about earlier in the artifacts block about how once you start using that, you feel like you're naked without it. You got to carry that scope with you and look and look at people through it because you don't know whether they're. Because I did this with um, I did this with an NPC where he's got an under he's got an underbarrel or sign projector, and basically unless so, unless he's scanned someone with it and verified that they're human, he assumes that they're monsters and kills them on sight. Oh, this is Abe, right? Yeah, this is Abe. Abe is a schizophrenic because he has spent his entire life um, learning about the different kinds of creature that can pretend to be human. And also because they did a bunch of medical procedures on his brain that probably, um, you know, like a corpus callosotomy and other things that were not healthy for his um, sense of self. Anyway, the uh, Elder Sign bullet, I would, yeah, Elder Sign, great, other stuff. Obviously, like we said in the artifacts section, cost to create it, cost to use it of some kind. Aaron, you got any favorites or ideas? Uh, I like the the taser shotgun rounds where they impact the target and they create the electrical discharge. And one of the things that caught my attention is 
they have to be restricted to a certain voltage, I guess. I don't remember which electrical aspect it is, but I saw that and thought, well, if you use your craft skills and bump up the power, that could be pretty useful against a monster that hates electricity. For sure. Yeah, those uh, shells for shotguns are like absolutely ridiculous. They're like, in terms of expense, it's like 500 bucks. I forget. I forget the price. It's ridiculous, though. It's like 50 bucks a shell. It's like a hundred bucks for five shells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but 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 in this game, hundred dollars is below the threshold you have to roll, so you can technically afford infinity for no reason. <laughs> That's true. It's also it reminds me of the uh the bit in Deep Blue Sea, and I wasn't a shotgun, but where they where they harpoon the the, the crazy evil shark with the uh, and they attach it to like the generator and they blow it up. Nice. Have you guys seen those harpoon guns? Uh what they actually use in like Jaws? No, no, uh, explain. In in Jaws, the, the rifle they use is a greener harpoon gun. So it's a Martini Henry that's been um, bored down to take a thirty eight special blank. And you put the blank in there, and you stick the harpoon on the end, and you have like the big um, thing that holds the cable, and then you shoot a shark with it. And when I heard of that, I was thinking, like, why stop at a thirty eight blank? Why not go... It's a Martini Henry. Why not go up to, like... It's not 4570, but it's like the British version of 4570. And just shoot that thing out of like a fucking rocket. I'm going to kaboom my greener harpoon gun. Kaboom your kebab. A tranquilizer round sounds really cool, right? Those are really neat. The the only thing people... The only thing you have to separate out from like movie fiction is that it's actually super easy to get the dose wrong and just straight either kill someone or do nothing. Um but if you have somebody in your team who's like a doctor or something, then you could totally make use of their skills and take something down. So tranquilizer rounds are absolutely useless for self-defense because unless you shoot someone directly in the vein or artery, they substance will not act fast enough to stop them from doing anything. So tranquilizer round, an, intral- an intramuscular shot with one of those, um, unless you're using something that's just crazy poisonous and absorbed through the skin, in which case you're probably just going to kill them, it's going to take a little bit. This is my fentanyl round gun. <laughs> I mean, I, I see two, I, off the top of my head, I can see two interesting uses for a tranquilizer round. One is uh, an unaware target, like knocking someone out and then dealing with them from a, from a distance. And the other one is some sort of, if you're like out there hunting some sort of mythos creature, and you, for some reason, if you don't want to just kill it, you need to like drop it down or, or study it. I love I love the idea of you like, you shoot you shoot the star spawn with the, um, with the tranquilizer and then you put it in the dog crate. We're, we're with back the sign gone on it. Wait, what if you put the Elder Sign engraved into the tranquilizer dart? Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. So because the dart is stuck in the monster, it's just going to sit there and permanently drain power away from the monster? Well, no, because the monster's got two hands. Oh, so it pulls it out and throws it back at you like like a 5e yeah, monk or something? But, <laughs> but there's a bit in um, the first Gods Must Be Crazy movie where... Um, regarding are like, underrated movies. <laughs> With drink. Oh, absolutely. They're very, like, well put together. Kind of, uh, this is like, like 80s, 70s, 60s. I don't remember when they're from. But in this one, there's like a, a, a gang of terrorists that's got all these children held hostage. And so they get uh, their, you know, Kalahari Bushman ally, who's like the, you know, he's like the straight man in this film. He's the smart guy. And, every, and it's always about how everyone else is, is just memeing it up and he's the only one who knows what the fuck he's doing. And so they tell him. Um, we need to get rid of these guys. Can you go? Um, he gives he gives him a bunch of needles and a jar of elephant tranquilizer. And so he goes around with his with basically a bow and arrow that he made out of like a piece of um, like, like a 
a, a really tiny, you know, elastic band or whatever, and a, a he sh- and he, so he shoots all the guards with the with these little needles, but the needle just feels like a mosquito bite because it's really tiny, and you know maybe not a hundred percent realistic, but at least not like a you know shooting someone with a huge dart, they immediately gonna notice. Hey, there is a hypodermic syringe in my thigh. Well, the other thing is if you're trying to like say you have a subject who's in like a secured compound. If you can get a shot at them and hit them with a dart, they're not just going to fall to the ground and then alert the compound. They're going to be like, oh, man, I feel like shit. I'm going to go lay down or I'm going to go to the bathroom and slosh water on my face or whatever. And now you've isolated them and can can extract them without issue. I think the last round that might warrant a discussion what about is mind uh, bullets. Mind That's bullets? Telekinesis, Kyle. Nobody, all right. Nobody, all right. Fine. No, I, I understand okay. the all reference right. to, the, to the song. Thank you. What about the. Bullets. I too, I too was on, I too was on in the early 2000s. What about the bullets that move you? The the last one I think is worth mentioning might be uh, like rock salt or silver shells. You know, not to get too pathfindery here, or you know, to be Dean Winchester from Supernatural. Uh, if you have a game that has like vampires or ghosts or whatever, this might be a good use of the occult skill. I think that rock salt is um, one of the ones that they figured out in real life is not actually that effective. It doesn't actually burn people. It just kind of bounces it's off just clothing. Fucking annoying. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to get shot with it, but like if you're trying to defend yourself, you put like actual shells in your gun. So, Infernal Devices is a short story by Ken Height from Shotguns versus Cthulhu, and the basic premise is it takes place in the 16th century. It's about a German witch hunter who has uh, a blunderbuss, a really early shotgun. And one of the interesting things about it, I thought, was that when he's using, like, machine-made shot, he can't kill. Like, he can't kill this monster that witches send after him. But then once he just starts jamming whatever shit he has at hand into the barrel and starts firing it, then he actually starts to do damage because this monster is essentially using hypergeometry doing this calculation over and over again to counteract the force of all the projectiles, which, when he's using machine-made shot, is really easy. But once he uses just random-ass projectiles, it has to do the same equation over and over and over again in really quick succession. And so eventually he tires it out and blows it up with that. So it's like how you modulate your phasers to get through Borg shields? (laughs) Essentially, I suppose. That is a really neat concept. Yeah. And it would take like a certain character to be able to figure out that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's just an interesting twist where once you get more desperate and improvisational in combat, then it actually becomes more effective against what you're trying to fight than any kind of standardized heavy-duty military gear. So you might want to consider that if your players are doing a lot of gun shopping and a lot of gun fondling and you want to turn the tables on them all right so just to offer a recap of everything we've talked about today uh the most important thing obviously is for players to read the book and know things that might potentially save them and also allow them to do more damage to the bad guys uh it's a somewhat realistic game so think realistically like cover is going to save your butt and if a player, if, if this is the sort of game that you're inclined to run, uh, let your player present you with uh, options for 
you know, unique ammunition because it can be fun uh, when you think about the consequences of it all. Is there anything else you guys would like to add? I, mean, I think we were a little harsh on uh, the Delta Green rules. Uh, I think they work pretty well. Combat can get a little fiddly, and like the key is to keep things moving, great enjoyable experience for your players, rather than get bogged down in the minutia of uh, plus 20, minus 20, cover, call shots, suppression, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Above all else, at the end of the day, uh, you should be having fun. And you should also keep in mind that the philosophy of Delta Green towards combat is that it's fucking fast and it will fucking kill you. That was episode 21 of the Green Box, Sky Devil Repellent. Be sure to like us on Facebook, tweet at us at 9mmretirement. Head over to the Night at the Opera subreddit where you'll find links to the Discord. We're proudly sponsoring the second annual summer contest over at that subreddit. Until the 4th of July 2019, we'll be accepting entries. The contest is about mythos groups and organizations that interact within the Delta Green universe. Think stuffs like cults, companies, criminal enterprises, conspiracies, or other clandestine government agencies. Look forward to seeing what sort of entries y'all submit. <laughs>